in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So those first 18 verses of the Gospel of John uh, have, I believe, have changed the world. And we're going to explore some of those verses, but each week we've, we've, we're just sitting back and listening to those first 18 verses. Those first 18 verses of the Gospel of John are like an overture in a musical. You know, like when you go to a musical, Sound of Music, West Side Story, whatever it is, um, Oklahoma, uh, you will hear little bits in the overture of songs that will come later, right? So you hear like a little bit of a little melody line of, of a full song that's later in the musical. That's what the first 18 verses of John 1 are about. Uh, you hear little melodies of what's going to come later in the gospel of John. And so uh, we spent actually as a church back in 2015, 2016, two years going through the whole gospel of John, which was a treat um, to be able to listen to all of it. It was so fun to be able to research it. And, um, and that was beautiful. But now we're just, we're just looking at the first 18 verses. And it's a great Christmas text, these first 18 verses, because it's explaining who Jesus is and what he's come to do and what he offers the world. And if you're new to Jesus, I want to say this is a wonderful Sunday to be here uh, as, we, as we're exploring this Christmas season, all that Jesus, all who he is and what he's come to bring the world. And so... So, so happy that you're here if you are new to Jesus. And today, as you've heard, um, the word joy is a theme for this Sunday. And we're going to explore the possibility 
of, or all, all the possibilities of joy that Jesus brings. The joy he brings of being born of God. The joy of new birth. The joy of transformation. Now, I know most of us in the room are familiar with a Christmas story uh, called A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. How many of you are big fans? Not as many as I thought. Uh, so every year, um, I know it has been a uh, bit of a, a thing for me to watch the Muppet version of A Christmas Carol. Like, I love A Muppet Christmas Carol. Can I ask for hands of fans? Yes. Much more enthusiastic, that bunch, uh, about the Muppet. So, so, of course, Michael Caine plays Scrooge, but Kermit the Frog is Bob Cratchit. It's, it's the best. Now, A Christmas Carol has become one of the most beloved stories at Christmas because I believe at its core, it's a story of joy. It's a story of transformation, of new birth. The lonely miser Scrooge who lives with such hatred towards humanity and such greed for more and more money, his, his life is changed and transformed into such love for humankind, such generosity to the poor, such care for others. Ebenezer Scrooge is someone we look to year after year as an image of joy and transformation. I mean, you may not have said that, but when you and I are drawn to this story, I wonder if we're drawn because it's a hopeful picture of what could happen to us, of what could happen to our hearts and our lives. Could we also be changed like that? Could we undergo a transformation? Some of the lines of the story describe Scrooge's life change. Quote, Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. It's Dickens describing this transformation. And for us here in the city of Langley, at Christmas, we're experiencing a weary world. We just turn on the news and we see the weariness of our world. But personally, we're longing to experience joy within the weariness. Here on a very bleak, in terms of weather, but moment of the year, um, as we think about all that we've lived through in the last year, as you think back on all you've experienced, oftentimes we look back on the year and remember the pain or the loss of a loved one or the financial difficulty or the relational breakdown. And, 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 and we look at our own hearts, if we're honest, as well, and we go, oh, God, I, wa I want to be different. I want to be new. And so could there be a joy of, of seeing old habits gone? Could there be a joy with watching old hatreds gone, old animosities gone, old ways of thinking, old ways of spending, old ways of speaking? God, could you transform my life? Could today look different? Could this next week look different? Could next year look different? Could I undergo a transformation that would lead to great joy? And so we listen to the joyful declaration of the Apostle Paul who writes this. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. 
North Langley. 2,000 years ago, a child was born. Amidst the darkness of Roman occupation to a poor family in the corner of the Roman Empire, a child was born, a son was given, and this is the moment joy flooded into our world. Joy, transformation, new birth. It's the hope we have in Jesus. So, God rest, you merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ, our Savior, was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. And Jesus, we pray that in the coming minutes, you would so fill this room with your joy, a joy that goes beyond circumstance. Lord, it's the joy that the apostles felt suffering for your name. It's the joy the apostles felt in prison amidst such difficulty. They still were able to feel and sense a deep joy. Why was that? Would you teach us? Would you point us to a well of joy? And would you show us what it means, as we're going to hear from John, show us what it means, Jesus, that we become children of God. Open our eyes. We pray for all of the places in our hearts and minds where we feel really hardened. Would you soften us? That as though it were for the first time, we would see the good news. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, if you will, would you take your Bible and open it to John 1? And you've heard each week all the 18 verses of the prologue, but today we're just focusing on a few short verses. And so uh, Pastor Jeff last week looked at verses 4 and 5, and we today will look at verses 6 to 13. I'll read those right now. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born, not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's dive in. Here we go. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, if you're new to Christianity, this might be confusing. John is referring to a man named John the Baptist. John, the author of this gospel, is a different John. John, the author here, is pointing to John the Baptist, who did a lot of baptizing. That's why he's got the name. (laughs) Did a lot of baptizing. He baptized people in the Jordan River, uh, preparing them to encounter Jesus. Verse 7. He came, that's John, as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him, All might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So John comes, John the Baptist, comes as a witness to Jesus. He's preparing people in Israel to encounter Jesus. He's 
He's like an amazing opening band. If you've been to see a show, you bought tickets for the opening, for, for, the, for the main act, but oftentimes there's this opening act. Well, what's the opening act doing? They're, they're getting the crowd prepped. They're getting them ready. They're warming them up. And then they're pointing. They go, now, guys, who you've all been waiting for, and then the bigger band comes on stage, right? So John the Baptist is like that, right? He's an amazing opening act. He's, he's pointing the crowd to Jesus. My professor, Dale Johnson, had said, the posture of John the Baptist is one pointing away from himself and pointing at Jesus. If you were to paint a painting of John the Baptist, it should be him pointing away from himself to Jesus, saying, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that's the posture of John. John's delighted to be a witness to the light. And who is the light? Well, verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So that's Jesus. John is prepping us to see Jesus is coming into the world. Jesus is the light of the world. A world walking in darkness needs the light of Jesus. And his light is life. And that image of light is truth. Jesus called him, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so it says, as we follow Jesus, that we come to understand who we are, who he is, and how we're healed. And his light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's powerful. All right, verse 10. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, this is the tragedy. Now, imagine you're Jesus. You come into the world, and as we heard two weeks ago, that he is the word through whom all things were made. Jesus is the word. He's the word through whom all things were made. It means everything about our planet, about our galaxy, our solar system, all of it, about you, about our relationship, like all of it here, he made. And yet he comes into the world, and the world doesn't recognize him. The world doesn't receive him. Edward Clink, one biblical scholar, said it this way, the creator of the world is present in the world, and yet he is rejected by the world. And on top of that, his own people, of all the people on the, on the planet who were to see Jesus and understand who Jesus is, it would be the people of Israel. And yet the people of Israel are the ones, the leaders of the people of Israel are the ones who crucified Jesus. And so this is the tragedy that Jesus shows up and he's rejected by his own people. By the way, so as we talk about Israel, I'm sure a lot of you, as you turn on the news, you're, you're thinking about Israel, you're thinking about the, and you may have some questions. So is the Israel today the same as the Israel in the Bible? How am I supposed to process Israel? Uh, just so you know, Corey and I did a podcast uh, and the title is Who is Israel? And so if you're interested in that, it's called the After Sunday Podcast. I'll just leave that with you if you'd like to engage that. But but here in this story, in John 1, we see the reality is Israel didn't receive Jesus as their rightful king, as the Messiah. And this is the tragedy that will ultimately lead to the crucifixion. It's a rejection of Jesus. Now, let's get to some joy. Verse 12, yet, this is the best word. It's the best word. Yet, hold on, yet, to all who did receive him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. 
All right, this is where we're going to park today. This is where we're going to land. We're going to focus on these verses here. So here's the deal. Even though Israel did not receive Jesus, listen to this. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So Jesus opens wide the invitation of who could receive him. His his arms are open wide to the whole world. Anyone, anyone across our globe can come to know him. I have a a cross um, in my office, and it's a, a wood carving by my friend Warren. And he, as he was carving it, he actually carved the open arms of Jesus right at the center of the cross. And yeah, they are crucified, the arms of Jesus are crucified, but it's also this welcome invitation for the world to come. To, to come and do what? And become a child of God. We're going to explore all that that means here in a second. But to become a child of God. So this invitation is for you. For you and for me. And I want to say this to you, who this is your first Sunday in church in a long time or ever. And I want to say this to you who have been following Jesus for six, seven decades. All, to all of us today, his arms are outstretched. And he welcomes you as a child of God. Now, as we explore this, notice three ways we are not born of God. It's interesting. John John puts in three ways in which we're not born of God. Not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will. So interesting, right? It's like, let's explore that for a second. All right, so we don't become children of God through family lineage. Let's start there. Or a family heritage. So what John seems to be saying is that this is not just because you were part of that family. You're not, a, you're not born of God simply because you were born into the, let's say, my kids are not born of God because they're simply born into the Price family. No, they, they're going to have to receive the invitation of Jesus. So we're not born of God simply by family heritage or family lineage. We're also not born of God by ethnicity, as though there was a certain group in the world or ethnic group in the world that was more received, you know, more born again than another. That's not it. No matter who you are, no matter what ethnicity, all around the world, all are welcome uh, to grapple with what it means to follow Jesus and then receive the gift of being born of God. And then a husband's will. <laughs> what I find remarkable about this one is that um, how was Jesus born? Joseph was not part of this at all, right? No husband's will <laughs> involved here. Gabriel comes to Mary and Jesus is born. It's, you could actually even summarize the, the birth of Jesus with these kind of not, you know, it's, it's not about uh, ethnicity. It's not about you know, who your family is. It's not about the will of his own father, right? Jesus comes, uh, and he is the beloved of the father. Right? He's beloved of the father, and he welcomes all you and I, uh, you, you and I, to become children of the father, welcomed as his children. And so each of us can become a child of God, how? By receiving Jesus and believing in his name. You know, some of you are wondering, how this happens, right? How do I receive Jesus? How do I believe in his name? 
How do I become a follower of Jesus? If you're new, you're kind of going like, how do, I, how do I follow Jesus? How do I become a follower? Where's the moment where I get clarity on that? Well, I hope today you'll get some clarity on this. So verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So receive Jesus and believe in his name. You see those two things there? Receive Jesus and believe in his name. So let's talk about both of these. So first of all, to receive Jesus, this is to welcome Jesus into your life. Your life and my life, it's like we're a house, and we are invited to welcome him into every corner. Uh, We're happy to welcome him into well-lit rooms of our house, but what about the dark rooms of our house? Do we want to welcome Jesus into those? No, they're a bit messy, and so... And so if you're hosting people for dinner, what do you do? You take all the mess of the house and you throw it in the guest room and you shut the door and you're like, see, I have a put together life. And then someone just randomly opens that door and you're like, no, you don't. Uh, Your life is a mess like everyone else's life. And so this is what we do. We open up the door and we say, Jesus, come into this part too. I need your healing. I need it everywhere. And there's that smelly attic or whatever it is. You go, okay, Jesus, welcome. And what Jesus does is when we receive Jesus, we're welcoming him in to the places where we want him to come into and the places where we're not so sure we want him there. But one famous hymn that we're going to sing this morning a little bit later on is Joy to the World. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her, what? King. So he's a king. We're welcoming a king. And how, let every heart prepare him room. So how would you do that? How would you prepare room for Jesus? To say, Jesus, come in. And just so you know, can you see how this, is, this message is for you who are so new to Jesus, right? But the message is also for you who have followed Jesus for decades. How are you receiving your king? into every corner of your life. How are you opening up your house, welcoming him in, and preparing him room? How am I doing that? And I say, come in, Jesus. Take over every part of my house in big ways and small ways. I want you to come. Come in. Um, Different seasons of my life, that has meant different things. Different areas that need to get cleaned out and fixed. Messy areas. Sinful areas. And God seems to gently walk me through it step by step. (laughs) I think if you were to do it all at once, I would just, you know, feel a little overwhelmed. Matthew, you're a mess. Yes, I know. (laughs) You know, and I need his grace in all the areas of my life. And so currently, I'm processing how to welcome Jesus into a room of my life called finances, you know? Jesus seemed to say a lot about money, which is always really unfortunate, Um, deeply convicting. (laughs) It's like, whoa. And and so I've got to explore. I've got to open that door and say, come in and teach me. And also there's another door, uh, parenting. And... uh, and so, God, I, I, you know, it's like I feel so, um, 
confused at times with how to point my children to you and how to guide them, and I don't have that wisdom, and it feels like um, I'm doing it poorly in many ways, ways that don't reflect Jesus's heart. So I'm like, Jesus, I need you to, to show me how to parent. And so those are a couple doors I'm trying to open in this season, and I'll let you know how it goes. And, uh, and then maybe I won't. Maybe I'll never say how it goes. <laughs> anyway, who knows what kind of pops out of my mouth from up here, but those are a couple doors I need to open. What are the doors you want to open? in your life. I'm always, I find this painting by Holman Hunt uh, that we, we study this in the Alpha Course, but it's called Light of the World. And there's several versions of this painting and it's on the left. Uh, on the right is a zoomed in to the bottom little inscription of the painting, but the left-hand side of the screen is the painting. Beautiful painting, it's Jesus standing outside a door and this is, a, is an image of Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And uh, this is a beautiful painting that one of the paintings is, is held at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And Tony and I went to an Alpha conference, and uh, I was so excited to see it, but they were renovating St. Paul's, so I, I wasn't able to see it. Um, but I will one day. But at the bottom inscription, you'll see on the right-hand side, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. I will come in, says Jesus. Receive me. I'll, I promise to come in and I'll eat with you. Now, the interesting thing somebody noticed when uh, Holman Hunt painted this, they said, if, you know, they said, well, there's no door handle. How's Jesus going to get in? <laughs> And uh, Holman Hunt said, well, that's intentional. He said, like, the handle's on the inside. And, uh, and Jesus is not kind of some kind of SWAT team who's going to, you know, burst into your life and kick the door down. Uh, he's going to wait for you to turn the knob and open it. And it's interesting because that door, if you notice, there was, there was all this ivy growing. Clearly, the door had not been opened, right, in quite some time. Have you opened the door? recently? Have you had a moment in your life where you've said, okay, I'll turn the door knob and open up the door and welcome Jesus in? And why? That he would meet with me, that he would eat with me. It's this picture of, picture of intimacy. So this is not somehow just like Jesus cleaning service as I was describing it earlier. It's actually his presence in your house. And it's him going, I love you. I want to be near you. And of course, as I come close, I'm going to start cleaning up bits of, but it's not just about that. It's about you knowing me. It's about being in relationship, about knowing that you're my child. This is what Jesus wants to say. It's deep love. Now, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. All right, so receive but what about believe? Believe. Now, believe um, is not just intellectual. This is something that I hope you've heard me say multiple times if you've been here for a while. Belief um, is not just intellectual assent. So here we go. This is a visual image here. This is a stool. Do you believe that this is a stool? Some of you may doubt that it is a stool. 
But you look at it and you say, that's a stool. Why? Well, because you've probably seen a stool before. And maybe you sat on another stool before or something. But you, you know it. You've seen it. You've, you notice what wood looks like. You have, you have experience noticing what wood looks like. And, uh, and it seems like this will hold you up, right? At least visually, it looks like it's going to hold you up. And so you say, I believe in the stool. And I believe the stool is there, right? And that's how we've kind of talked about Christianity. We've said, we believe uh, that Jesus is real. And, you know, we believe that Jesus died on the cross. And maybe I believe that he rose from the dead. And that's good. By the way, it takes time sometimes to get to that point where you say, oh, I, I can believe maybe intellectually that that's true. But belief in the New Testament is actually to come over to the stool and to sit on the stool and pull, put the full weight of my life, no feet on the ground, put the full weight of my life upon the stool. It's to sit on the stool and to, here's the big word, trust that it's going to hold me up. Now, this version of Christianity is not always the one that comes to mind for us because we say, oh, that actually requires action. It requires doing something. It requires surrendering. It's trust. It's full trust. So as you see me sitting on a stool, <laughs> this, I think, is the proper definition of the New Testament word belief. Belief is not just saying, Jesus, I think you're there, and I believe that you did those things, right? And I believe you're, you can hold me up. You can hold the weight of my life. But it's to actually move over and go, I'm doing it, right? In the, in, in, um, not that we're big supporters of gambling at this church, but the, the gambling image would be all your poker chips in, right? It's an all in. You're going all in on Jesus, right? And that's what trust is, is to fully trust him. Is this making sense? You're like, we understood it within the first 10 seconds. Uh, and you kept going for a couple more minutes. We understood it a while before you. Okay, anyway, so that's it, belief. And so what is it, believe in the name, in the name? Well, in the name, so the name is not something kind of like magical or superstitious, you know? It's the name of Jesus represents the character of Jesus, all that Jesus is. Like, for instance, your name, I don't just think about your actual name, like the letters of your name. When I use your name, I think about all that you are, right? Your character, the things you're interested in, the things you're able to do, um, your friendship with me, like all of it. So when I, your name is just a tiny little image of all that you are. So, so what you and I are called to do is put the weight of our life upon all that Jesus is. Not just part of who Jesus is. It's all, it's all of his character. And so I place everything upon him. And here's the deal. If I want the joy of being born of God, if I want the joy of a new life, if I want my life to do the Scrooge thing where I am transformed both in big ways and small ways, then I cannot pick and choose what it is that I trust about Jesus. Notice it was my whole life. It's... It's trusting in the name of Jesus, the fullness of him. I can't pick and choose what I'll trust and what Jesus can go ahead and just leave to me. I'm in charge of that one, right? I can't do that. It's 100% trust. I, one of the images that I love to illustrate this is the image of the movie, The Father of the Bride. How many of you know that movie and love that movie? Father of the Bride? It's a little bit older. It's getting older. Yeah. So you know the movie Steve Martin, he plays a guy named George Banks, and he, his daughter's getting married, and he's not doing well, 
right? He's kind of losing his mind. Uh, and so one of the best scenes is when George Banks is so stressed about his daughter getting married that he loses his mind for a moment in a grocery store. Because one evening he goes to the grocery store and he's got to buy hot dogs and hot dog buns. And he opens up a package of 12 hot dog buns and he's removing four of the buns from the package. At which point, he only wants eight hot dog buns. And at which point, a owner of the grocery store approaches him and says, sir, you cannot do that. You can't just open up a plastic bag of hot dog buns and remove four buns. Not allowed. Well, he gets frustrated. He loses it. And I have to quote from the movie. He says this, direct quote. He goes, quote, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I want to buy eight hot dogs and eight hot dog buns to go with them. But no one sells eight hot dog buns. They only sell, sell 12 hot dog buns. So I end up paying for four buns I don't need. So I am removing the superfluous buns. Yeah. And you want to know why? Because some big hotshot over at the Wiener Company got together with some big hotshot at the bun company and decided to rip off the American public. And then he ends up in prison that night. Remember that? He ends up in prison, which I love. But I love, I am removing the superfluous buns, right? I don't need these. And as I think about that image, I'm tempted to do this with Jesus, right? Jesus, I thank you for the 12. I think I'll remove four of these that I do not need, right? I'll gladly trust in a wide variety of the things you've taught, but I'm going to remove what seems to be superfluous teachings from you. And so... In my life, as I think about this, I think, yeah, that's what I do. That's what I do. I will gladly receive his sacrifice on the cross. I would like to remove his superfluous teachings on money, right? I will gladly receive the gift of the resurrection of new life. I would like to remove his superfluous teachings on lust. His teachings on lust and money are very inconvenient for me. Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right? So, you, so what's, what is it that is superfluous to you when you look at Jesus and all of his moral and ethical teachings? Right? But I know that as a follower of Jesus, if I'm going to put the full weight of my life upon Jesus, that none of it is superfluous. That it's, it's all meant for my good. He loves me. He's like, well, Matthew, here's the deal. Do you want to transform life or not? This is the, would you like to be born again or not? Right? This, is, this is really, you're going to have to choose whether you're going to open the door and allow me to come in and do this. Because all of my moral teachings, says Jesus, all of my ethical teachings, everything that I was about will lead to new life. Will you trust me with all of it? Not just a part of it. Children of God, children of God, these are people who have been born again and who have experienced deep within them what it means to have the joy of a new life. They've experienced surrender in all its joy. They've received and believed, right? It's total surrender. This is why baptism is an image in this passage. It's all over this passage. Did you see it? Did you notice it? Why is John the Baptist randomly in this passage? We're reading along this beautiful, and then suddenly John the Baptist. Well, I want to, I want to 
show you something that is just beautiful. Do you remember Jesus in John 1.1? He's the word through whom the cosmos were made. Well, how did God create the world? Some of you remember the story. In Genesis 1, there was what? What was there before he said, let there be light? Darkness and dark waters. Dark waters, right? It was darkness and water. And out of the dark waters, God says, let there be light, and there's light. And then God creates the world. Out of what? Dark waters. Well, all of a sudden, John the Baptist is in this passage. Well, what does he do? Well, out of the dark waters of the Jordan River, repentance to new life. He was leading Israel in this repentance. It's total surrender. And what would God do? What, would God, what was God preparing? It's for a people who come up out of the waters, repenting and surrendering and receiving new life, right? And what's the third image? Well, the third image is of a womb. You'll be born of God. Out of the dark waters of a womb comes a baby, a new life. Genesis 1, out of the dark waters. John the Baptist, out of the waters of the Jordan River. Out of the dark waters of the womb, as it were. New life, new life, new life. This is the image here. It's an image of total surrender, of God going, I'm happy to make life out of nothing. It's like what I do. It's what I do. And the ingredients I need are just a surrendered life. Someone who would go, yeah, my life's dark, watery mess, you know? And he's like, perfect. Okay, go surrender. Surrender. Fall back into those waters. If you have not been baptized, North Langley, would you be baptized? Would you publicly come forward and say, I give my life to Jesus. I surrender. And then out of the waters, new life. The joy of when the three of my kids were born, that idea of birth. And if all of you have been part of seeing a baby born, it's powerful, right? It's just all of a sudden, your eyes are flooded with tears as you see this child take their first breath of air. And, you know, they're crying, and they, but, but, but you know that there's life. And that experience of joy is the experience I've had, and I know many of you had, as we've seen our friends experience new life in Jesus. It's like a baby being born and saying, I'm ready. I, like, out of the dark waters, I'm ready to receive life. The new birth is our only path to joy. It's a powerful moment. In, one time I was in Egypt, and I was teaching at a retreat center. And uh, somewhere between Cairo and Alexandria, and I was with Pastor Rob, and we were on this trip together. And I was up there speaking at this conference, and I didn't speak Arabic, so I wasn't really sure how things were landing. And this guy um, came up to me afterwards, and he said, I had a picture for you from, from the Lord. And I was like, okay. And he said, I have this picture of... Jesus being here in the room, he was on the last row in the back row, and his arms were outstretched on a couple chairs, and he was leaning back in the chairs with a big smile on his face as you were teaching, Matthew. And he says, and then I saw Jesus point to you and say, that's my boy. That's my boy. And I was like, thank you so much. And then I turned and I just like started weeping. <laughs> I was like, whoa, like that's how God views me? This is how God views you how much love he has for you. That's, that's my girl. That's my boy. I'm a, I'm a child of God. Listen to 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called 
children of God. That's my identity. That gives me joy. When you read the New Testament, that's the joy that goes beyond circumstance. Why is it that the apostles feel a joy after they get beaten? And they're like, they had joy that they were able to suffer in the name of Jesus. What? (laughs) Why are they rejoicing and singing hymns in prison? Because their outward circumstances, while challenging and troubling, they had a joy. They were children of God. God loved them. And you can see this throughout the New Testament, this joy that is not, does not correlate with outward circumstances. And so we often manufacture joy through distracting entertainment. When we don't feel joy, we push sad feelings down in a sea of distraction. When we don't feel joy, we amuse ourselves to death. When we don't feel joy, we live a life busy to cover up the sad. We manufacture joy through escaping. We escape into malls, into porn, into the arms of someone else, onto another vacation and another vacation, trying to run away from it. We manufacture joy in all kinds of ways. But but what if you and I could know this transformational joy of being a child of God, of knowing deep down that this is our identity, of waking up in the morning knowing that you're the beloved of God. As God pours his love into your life and begins to heal you and change you and move into every corner of your life, that you would just go, yes, I'm experiencing joy because he's there. He's there. He's near me. He loves me. Jesus can do this in you. Jesus can bring transformation, new birth in you. Do you want it? Honestly, I feel like that's the big question. It's a big question in my life. Do I want it? Do I want this joy that comes on the other end of surrender? If you are brand new to Jesus here in a minute, um, our prayer team is going to be here, also in the prayer room, and you've never had a moment where you've surrendered to Jesus or, as it were, kind of opened the door of your life to Jesus, our prayer team would love to show you how to become a Christian. Would you, would you go to the prayer room? You can come forward. You're more than welcome to. How cool if this, this Sunday, if today, would be the beginning of a lifelong adventure of welcoming Jesus in, receiving and believing. And to everyone else in the room, this is not just about new Christians. This is about you and me, who once again are called as apprentices of Jesus to say, Jesus, come in again. Come in. Jesus, I I have held you at a distance for a while, especially in particular areas, and I want you to come in. I want the fullness of who you are because I want the joy of knowing what a transformed life is all about. Can we stand together? Let's listen again to the joyful declaration of the Apostle Paul. If anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Let's pray together. Would you close your eyes? Join me in prayer. Our prayer team will be ready to pray also for for any other need, anything else where you just say, I just want to be filled with God, filled with the Spirit. 
filled with Jesus, come forward. Or even if there's someone in your life, a friend who's struggling and you want to pray for them, our prayer team will be available. But as we pray, Jesus, we come to you thankful that you're here, thankful that you love us, and you have placed the invitation before us to receive and to believe. So North Langley, I feel like Jesus is asking us if we're ready to simply say, come in, I trust you. Come in, I trust you. Only if you're willing in the quietness of your heart would you pray that prayer. And only you know what you're going through and the needs. But if you're willing, would you simply say, come in, Jesus. I trust you. And as you pray that, would you see him come in? there. He loves you. He's in the middle of it. As painful or as complicated, as messy as it seems, he's there. And he's full of joy. He's full of life. He's full of light. He's delighted open his arms wide to embrace you to heal all of it so Jesus come in power come in love come in great joy our lives are yours we surrender to you Jesus come in we trust you